so good to see you. It's good to be home and reunite fellowship and to worship with you today. Last Tuesday afternoon, we stood at the top of the Knoll Hill in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where Union forces defended a, a knoll, a, a high ground area against Confederate troops. We walked the battlefield there in that ground. We went to a place that's called the Angle where the Confederate troops broke through those Union lines at first and then they were, they were pulled back, defeated back. We looked over the field as literally the Confederate troops marched a mile across open field at the risk and under heavy fire from cannons and from Union forces. We learned about the destruction, the devastation, the lives lost on both sides of, of the battle, the injuries that, that took place. Then we traveled around to the other side of the battlefield, to the place where they say General Lee stood and watched the battle unfold before his eyes, in that very place where they said that as his troops came back after defeat, that he apologized over and over again to them, saying it was his fault, it was his fault. And as we drove around that battlefield, there was a sense of awe and a sense of, of reverence, of the sacredness of that ground where so much had been given and so much had been lost as a key and pivotal and turning point in our American Civil War. As many of you may be aware, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd was the 150th anniversary of that battle. And we stood there with a silent reverence and awe. Tried to picture what was taking place during that time. It was a few months later in November that President Lincoln made his trip to that battlefield as the cemetery was being dedicated for those who had died in battle there. And he made a speech that many consider one of the significant speeches in the history of the United States. In fact, it's one of those speeches that I would call a, a, a reshaping, a restatement of those principles of, of America and its founding of the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. As he says in his speech, 87 years ago, our fathers created this idea, this nation, with these ideals that, that certainly they didn't understand all that those things meant, but they certainly put into place a direction for America to continue. And Abraham Lincoln began by saying this, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now, we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. 
The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it will never forget, it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus so far nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain and that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. As you see, as we read through this this beautiful address, a restatement of the meaning of America. Listen to these key words that are drawn out. Liberty. The idea, the truth that all men are created equal. The importance of perseverance, of endurance. The reality of sacrifice when he says, for those who gave their lives that this nation may live. But he goes on. It's not just about the past. It's not just about what those in the past have done for us. But it's what we today must do as we look to the future. And so he talks about unfinished work. He talks about being dedicated to the great task remaining before us. He talks about increased devotion. Being highly resolved so that this nation, these ideals, would not perish from the earth. As we again reflect on this statement, this speech by Lincoln, we can't help but see the spiritual words and the spiritual ideas that he weaves through his text. And so today as we summarize, as we step back from the confessions of Jesus and as we, as we look at all of them at one time on one page, I think it's important for us to ask the question of the meaning of Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus is? What does it mean that we have this beautiful picture of Jesus, of the Word in John's Gospel? What is its meaning? And therefore, once we understand its meaning, what is its meaning to us? What does it compel us or call us to do or to respond? It's interesting that as we try to consider the meaning of Jesus in this, it's Pilate at the trial of Jesus who to me in John's Gospel represents us. That, that figure that, that is, has that moment with Jesus is able to ask those key questions to Him. In John chapter 18, if you'll turn there, and, and you, we're not going to read that text, but uh, you might follow along um, with it at beginning in verse 28, particularly down towards 33. The key questions that Pilate asked, almost as if John has put the questions that we want to ask Jesus into Pilate's mouth. Listen to the questions that Pilate would ask. Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? 
Are you the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for? He continues on, what have you done? Through the book of John, it's been a couple of years ago, we studied the the signs in the Gospel of John, the, the miracles that Jesus performed and how they pointed to Him as the Christ, as the Savior. And Pilate says, what have you done? What have you done that's caused this reaction against you? Why do your people reject you in, in such a vocal and demonstrative way? Why do they want you dead? What have you done? And finally, Pilate says, Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? And I believe that as we go through the Gospel of John, that that John has led us through through a Gospel, through a book that helps us to answer these questions. Turn back to John chapter 1. Here's how John introduces us to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him, in Jesus, was life. The life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overpower it. In that revelational word, when in verse 14, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In these brief verses, John introduces us to the nature, the mission, the character of God. He is God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is light. He is man. He is the God-man that that demonstrates and brings forth God's glory. He is full of grace and of truth. You see, in these opening verses of John's Gospel, John is saying, let me tell you, let me introduce you to who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. And then look, let's go back to John 20. The last chapter, or the next to last chapter, in verse 30 and 31. John writes, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. These signs and miracles have been written. These I am confessions and statements have been written. Why? So that you may believe. So that you might have faith. So that you might trust. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, by putting your confidence in Him, you would have life in His name. You see, John begins with introducing us to to this, this God, this Word. And he says, this Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And then at the end, in the concluding statement, he says, I've written you these things. I've Explain these things to you so that you might know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that as you believe in Him, as you trust and follow Him, you would have eternal life. And in the middle, in between, 
He reveals to us the character and the nature of God through these seven I am's, these seven confessions of Jesus. So let's go quickly and be reminded of who Jesus says He is. Now we've taken time over the last few weeks to look at these individually and to study them one by one, but I thought today it would be so important to to lay them all down on a sheet of paper and to consider them as a unit. And so whether you take notes in your bulletin or, or whether you have a journal at home or however you might do it, I want to encourage you this week in your own prayer and quiet times to take these seven I Am statements together as a whole to meditate and to pray over them. We'll go in in the order in which they appear in John's Gospel. First of all, John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You see, bread is one of the key symbols of our Christian faith. Last week as we shared the Lord's Supper together, we held in our hand bread, symbolizing and representing His body. His body broken for us, paying the debt of our sin. And Jesus said, it is He, the bread of life, that brings nourishment to us. As we eat of this bread, we discover life and nourishment. In John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, light brings comprehension. It brings understanding. It brings life. And while we remember in John 1, we're told that the darkness cannot overcome, overpower the light, the light overcomes, overpowers the darkness and brings life to us, gives us the path that we can see so that we can walk and so that we can live our life each day. The light of Jesus comes into the world to dispel the darkness so that we no longer have to walk and live in that darkness. In John chapter 10, there are two of the I Am statements that come close together. First of all, in John 10, 7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And continuing in verse 9, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You see, it's the door of the shepherd that that allow the door that, that protects us as we come in and out of the fields of life that we share. It's the shepherd's door, the gate that offers us shelter and safety and salvation. He continues on in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why is the door so important to be able to to come in and out and find shelter? Why is it so important that we acknowledge and that we need a, a good shepherd? Because in John 10, verse 10, we are told that there's a thief. A thief who's out to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus reminds us and and declares to us that I am the Good Shepherd. And even in foreshadowing His own death, He said, and the Good Shepherd 
is willing to lay down His life for the sheep. And the sheep hear my voice, offering again that that shepherd is a relationship. It's not just a wooden door. He's a live relationship. He invites us to know Him and to know His voice, to follow after Him. In John eleven twenty five, in the story of Lazarus and his resurrection, Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. You see, Jesus, in declaring that He is the resurrection, declares that He brings victory over death. Over the death of sin. Over the deaths that we experience in this life, whether they be real physical death and that promise and that hope of of resurrection in eternity, or whether God brings and works His miracle of resurrection in our lives emotionally, relationally, and in whatever ways that we might experience and suffer death in our lives. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. His resurrection is the guarantee, is the promise, is the down payment for our resurrection. The promise of resurrection that we would have. Jesus continues after declaring He's the resurrection and the life. He expands on that idea, this idea of life in John 14.6. And He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus is offering us a way to live. It's a new way. It's a revelational, revolutionary way of living. It's a way. It's a truth. It's a life. It's a relationship with a God that calls us unto Himself. And finally, in John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. In verse 5, He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in Him, He bears much fruit for apart from Me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus revealing to us our utter necessity for Him. He is the source and the strength for all that we are and all that we do. We must be connected as the vine is connected to the branches. We must be connected to Him to experience and to fulfill life. To bear fruit the way that He has called us to live and to bear fruit. So as we take these seven confessions and we lay them down beside each other, it opens to us a beautiful tapestry, a a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. The meaning of Jesus, if you would. The meaning of Jesus is found in these seven confessions, these seven I Am statements. But now, just as Abraham Lincoln had three months to kind of step back and, and to look at the broader meaning of a specific battle, I want us to step back from these I am statements and to ask the question, the the deeper and the broader question about the meaning of Jesus. And I'm going to pick a a very familiar verse in John's Gospel, John 3.16. What is the meaning of Jesus? The meaning is that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. First of all, the meaning of Jesus. Jesus coming and revealing Himself to us 
reveals to us first and foremost that God is love. That God loves us. God loves us so much that we can't describe it. We can't fully understand it. The meaning of Jesus is that God loves. But let's not separate it from the other part of this truth in this passage. The next part of the truth that God loves is that God takes seriously our sin. God takes seriously our separation from Him because of sin. And because God's love was so great and because our sin and our separation from Him made us so desperate and so distant from Him, He sent His Son. He sent His Son to reveal Himself to us in deeper ways, but also to make a way. Also to pay the debt. Also to pay the price for our sin. He was full of grace and truth. He revealed the glory of God which was His love for us and His sacrifice He was willing to make that we might experience this life. This life abundant and eternal. So now let's ask the question that we must leave with today. As we take the meaning of Jesus, as we begin to understand it in our lives, as we place ourselves in the place of Pilate and would say, Who are you? Are you the Christ? What have you done? What is truth? As we seek to answer those questions, let's look at the meaning for us. John 21 is an interesting chapter. It's a beautiful chapter and way that John has concluded. It has a, an interesting story and history behind it that scholars would debate and talk about. I'll let you look at that if you're unfamiliar. and We can talk about that at another point. But there's two things I think that John is saying to us. The, the so what. Here's the meaning of Jesus. Well, so what? What does that mean for us? First of all, look in verse 22. The disciples have gathered there and, and Peter and John and, and the other disciples have been talking. Jesus has said to Peter in, in a kind of a prophetic way that your death is going to be not, not real pleasant. In the verse before that, and kind of predicting how Peter's going to be faithful and follow him and, and it's going to cause his death. And so Peter looks over at John and says, well, what about him? And listen to the words of Jesus in Oklahoma speak. Don't worry about Him. You worry about you. And here's what I need you to do, Peter. You follow Me. What is the meaning of Jesus for us today? If we embrace as we accept the meaning of Jesus, what it means to us today is that we must follow Him. Follow Him. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't worry about what this person is doing or that person is doing. Jesus would say to you today, you follow me. Follow after me. Surrender yourself to me. Repent. Obey. Submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And follow after me. But this chapter also gives us another step, another, another place, another meaning of what it means to follow after Jesus and that's in the story beforehand where, where Jesus and Peter get into the conversation about, do you love me? And notice Jesus' response is very consistent. He says, Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, shepherd my sheep. Peter, love, serve, care for others. Tend my sheep. 
You see, what, what is the meaning of Jesus? I think what John would say to us today is, is twofold. First of all, to make that choice, to make that personal choice to say, I'm going to follow you. You're going to be my Lord. You're going to be my Savior. I'm going to come and I'm going to follow after you. And then as Jesus would say, as you would come and follow after Him, Jesus would say to us, now it's time to tend and feed my sheep. It's time to love others. It's time to serve others. Isn't it interesting that as we read the Scriptures, that Jesus says, now you're the light of the world. Jesus says to us, go and tend, go and shepherd. We become shepherds in the lives of others. Bringing the good news of Jesus to them. What is the meaning of Jesus today? It's that God loves you. He loves us. But He takes our sins seriously. So seriously that He sent His Son to die. To be slaughtered on a cross. And now, as we understand, as we embrace that meaning, He says to us, now follow Me. And as you follow Me, you will have opportunities and chances to tend and to feed and to love and to care for My sheep. Would you do this today? Would you come and follow Him? Would you feed the sheep that He has placed around you in your home, at your work, in your ministry here at church or somewhere in the community? Would you tend to sheep? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these words that have been written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Father, may we not, like Pilate today, wash our hands and try to put a decision off on somebody else. But may we ask the questions and as we hear the answers, may we respond. May we follow after You. And as we follow after You, may we tend and shepherd your sheep. For this we pray. In this time of decision making, we would encourage you to, to look deep within. To ask these questions and to see where you're at. What is the meaning of Jesus to you today? If that leads you to a response, you come forward and we can pray together. We can celebrate what God is doing. But during these moments, let's stand and sing together.